Welcome to the San Jose Hockey Now podcast. I'm Sheng Peng, Editor-in-Chief of San Jose Hockey Now. Also, you can find my work at MEC Sharks and on Twitter at Sheng underscore Peng. Also, too, we're on Instagram. So find us on Instagram at San Jose Hockey Now. And I'm Keegan McNally. You can find me on Twitter at halfwall underscore hockey or half-wallhockey.com. Lots of dashes and underscores there. I'm a writer for San Jose Hockey Now and the co-host of the San Jose Hockey Now podcast. I uh, wanted to first, uh, before we jump into uh, sort of uh, uh, sort of the breaking news or whatever's going on in the world of the Sharks right now, I wanted to preview our guest. We have an exciting guest today, uh, Michael Santos. If you don't know him, uh, Michael has a wealth of NHL front office experience stretching back from 1997 to 2014. He was part of the New York Islanders. Florida Panthers and Nashville Predators front offices. And so anyway, uh, I'm bringing Michael on because I wanted to get a front office perspective on what concerns do you have as a team about bringing back a player who doesn't want to be here? And of course, we're talking about Eric Carlson, and that's sort of going to be the focus of our conversation today. Uh, what you know? What concerns do you have about bringing Eric Carlson back to the San Jose Sharks? I know a lot of fans not happy with sort of the trade proposals that they're hearing out there, whether it be it from me or in general from uh, guys like Elliot Freeman, Frank Saravalli, like just sort of what's out there for the Sharks doesn't sound like a lot. So a lot of fans say just bring Eric back. And so let's talk about sort of the uh, the historical examples and the implications of of doing a, of bringing a player back who doesn't want to be here. Uh, also, too, Santos shares a couple of really interesting slices of hockey history. Uh, the Islanders, uh, who he was an AGM at the time, wanted the number two pick in the 1997 draft. That's the Joe Thornton, Patrick Marlowe draft. Of course, the Sharks drafted Marlowe number two. The Islanders had picks number four and five in that draft. They drafted Roberto Luongo and then Eric Brewer. So imagine Roberto Luongo <laughs> drafted by the Sharks. Patrick Marlowe drafted by the Islanders. I don't know, but that's just a fun bit of uh, uh, hockey history uh, that that Santos shares. Also, too, he was in the building when the Joe Thornton trade broke in Dallas. So he's going to tell that story. And finally, Mike also tells us about his exciting scouting project, Team 33. Yeah, it's uh, an amazing interview. You guys should um, stick around for it. Uh, for our first segment, um, we're going to get into a little bit of hockey news. There was probably one of the slowest weeks of the offseason, to be honest. Yeah, it's going to get slower. <laughs> it's going to get a little bit slower until it picks up. Um, but it was definitely a slow week for, for hockey news. The one bit of news that's kind of Sharks relevant that we're going to talk about, um, Vladimir Tarasenko, which was one of the biggest free agents still left on the market, um, three, four weeks into free agency. He signed a one-year, $5 million contract in Ottawa um, just a few days ago or yesterday. Um and Andy Strickland on Twitter reported that um, Vladimir Tarasenko had actually turned down a four-year offer uh, from Ottawa at $5.5 million per season earlier on in free agency. And he also had offers from Carolina at $5.25 million for one year and San Jose one year at $6 million. And it was reported, I think July 1st, something like that, that the Sharks were um, interested in, in Tarasenko. Yeah, maybe um, a week after, yeah. Yeah, or a week or so uh, after free agency started that it was, you know, they were interested. This kind of confirms that they were interested and it actually gives us a number um, to talk about as well. Yeah, and what I find interesting about it is that they, you know, the Sharks clearly wanted to bring Tarasenko in because they offered, it looks like, the most money. Um, and I think that that's a signal that 
you know, uh, Mike Greer wants to bring in high priced talent for the right term, of course. You know, he's not signing uh, anyone uh, to to a longer deal, it seems like. But it makes sense for the Sharks. And a lot of people obviously say, well, why would you why would you bring in uh, someone like Tarasenko if you're rebuilding? But uh, you bring in Tarasenko, there's plenty of, of playing time. He can score a lot. You can flip it at the deadline. It actually makes a lot of sense. You know, it's a good uh, prove it uh, 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 kind of situation here in San Jose. And so anyway, uh, this shows that the Sharks are in that kind of game. And so I wonder, there's a couple more high price sort of free agents out there in Matt Dump, defenseman Matt Dumba. Sharks do need somebody to take over on the power play if they manage to trade Carlson uh, this summer. Yep. Or uh, Thomas Tatar, who's a pretty good scoring winger. And so these are two guys that can, uh, you know, pretty easily, you can see them uh, producing in San Jose and then getting flipped at the deadline for, uh, for a decent pick. And so, yeah, uh, so I'm curious to see if the Sharks are, are, you know, are in either of those kind of kind of pursuits, uh, Dumba or Tatar. Um, also, too, wanted to mention, too, a shout out to a couple of podcasts ago, I think the Will Smith one, uh, where uh, we actually talked with Team 33 about Matt Dumba. And they still like Dumba's game, even though uh, he wasn't as productive last year. So listen to that if you're interested uh, uh, about how Dumba might fit the Sharks. Yeah, and um, I think you're absolutely right. It was something that uh, possibly uh, the Sharks could retain the deadline and flip hmm. somebody like Vladimir sure. Tarasenko. Yeah, um, only a one-year contract, have, so it doesn't hurt. Yeah, yeah. Still, Sharks still have five and a half million dollars of cap space currently. Um, they had even more before they acquired Anthony Duclair for a little bit more money, uh, Zadina, um, and, and I think Kyle Burrows. Um, basically. They had a little bit more money to play with. They might still have some money to play with coming up. And there might be a few that that uh, the Sharks are interested in after Tarasenko ultimately decided not to come to the Sharks. Right. Right. Uh, there's not a lot left out there, though. So I was looking at the list today, and it looks like um, uh, Dumba and Tatar are only kind of high-priced ones uh, out there. So, or, you know, maybe Tatar might be more medium-priced. Um, mm-hmm. Other names out there are former big names, so I don't think that uh, they're – uh, they're, they're, they're candidates for kind of a big one-year contract just because their games aren't maybe quite there anymore. Guys like Paul Stastny, Phil Kessel. Uh, but I think that uh, uh, Tatar and Dumba have a bit more upside than those guys. Yeah. So there wasn't very much um, Sharks news this week. We, we um, did get some New Jersey numbers. Yeah, Casper uh, Halton at number 14. <laughs> it's just uh, something to report. He's coming uh, to the Sharks, guys. <laughs> yes, this is it. This is the uh, – no, I think it's uh, – possibility that he might be coming to north america sure. but we'll see yeah. we talked um, about that a couple weeks ago um but other than that we're going to get into a little bit of eric carlson news not mm-hmm. not like a ton just uh, a not, little bit just a little bit to try and get us <laughs> eased into this uh, interview with mike um but the news has kind of come to a grinding halt in the last couple of weeks um mm-hmm. we haven't really been moving any forward or moving forward on the penguins or the canes or anything like that and Shang, you put out a recent article called uh, Sharks Facing Harsh Reality About Carlson's Trade Value. <laughs> fans uh, are loving it. <laughs> very popular with Sharks fans. Um, and people have come up with like their own ideas about what you know Eric Carlson, a superstar, should be worth in this cap world. Um, and it's not kind of jiving um, in terms of around the league. Carlson might not be worth that much. Right. Um, so... Uh, let's start there. Let's, let's uh, again go over Eric Carlson's trade value and some ideas about the best way to move Eric Carlson. Yeah, a very uh, a risky uh, uh, superstar, though, at that. And, you know, I'm personally of the camp 
trade Carlson, strike wild to iron is lukewarm. You know, 33, <laughs> he's coming yeah. off a once-in-a-lifetime season, and he has significant injury history. So I say retain a lot, take the best possible offer. Yeah, and I think the Sharks should also move on as quick as possible, strike while the iron is lukewarm. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't want to retain, and that seems like kind of counterproductive because you're not going to get as much for Eric Carlson if you don't you want have to retain. retain something though there's no one taking yeah. him at 11.5 yeah I, I just as little as possible yeah anywhere sure. below two million is, is kind of what I would want to do and if that means that the Sharks don't get that great of a return at all or I'm okay with or nothing which is what Frank Saravalli kind of reported was that mm-hmm. teams aren't really interested even at 9.5 for nothing or they are They'll say, yeah, and sure. they'll give you nothing <laughs> or they'll give yeah, you, we'll uh, give uh, I, I had a comparison in my article, um, uh, um, Mark Andre Fleury for, uh, Mikhail, uh, Hakarainen. And, mm. um, I'm not going to get into that, the, the, too much of the details of that, but basically sure. Mark Andre Fleury also coming off a trophy, he won a Vezina trophy in the 2020, 21 season, uh, but golden Knights couldn't find anything, uh, for him. And so they had to take. Uh, Mikhail uh, Hakarainen, who um, look look up his uh, his elite prospects, and uh, you can see that the the Gold Knights didn't get anything for him. But I think it's time for the Sharks to move and start a new era in San Jose. Mm-hmm. And the more money that you have retained on Carlson, especially if you're not getting a whole lot, um, and it's different if you're getting a lot, and that mm-hmm. that's kind of like the crux of the argument. But if you're not getting a whole lot, I don't want to have that on books for the next four years. I would sure. rather have them start fresh. But that's just my opinion. Um, but a lot of fans are saying, why don't the Sharks just kind of keep Carlson for the next year? So let's right, and that's sort of the main thing that we're going to talk about uh, uh, right here. You know, fans talk about, uh, you know, just keep Carlson until the next trade deadline and hope a projected uh, salary cap dump uh, next uh, off season, you know, opens up the market, which is, you know, all, this is all possible. It's a very reasonable uh, point of view, even if I don't quite agree with it, but I wanted to, to dive into it. You know, I talked with uh, a number of league sources, just sort of about the implications uh, once again, of bringing back a guy who doesn't want to be here. And anyway, there are a couple of uh, hangups and risk with bringing back a Carlson. Uh, some obvious and others less obvious. And so that's what we're going to dive into, uh, sort of the positives and or negatives related to keeping Carlson. And so let's get the obvious ones out of the way first, the ones we all know. You know, number one, Eric Carlson does not want to be here. He wants to go somewhere to to win while he's still reasonably productive, which is, I think, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with, with him wanting to go somewhere where that, that team is, you know, focused on winning a selling cup right now. It makes perfect sense. And so I think the question that brings up for me is, what do the Sharks owe Eric Carlson? And... I personally, and I know a lot of fans, uh, I feel like uh, uh, in some ways uh, they're uh, writing out their their revenge uh, on Carlson for (laughs) for really the, you know, disappointing seasons that he had before uh, 2022-23. And so... I personally always favor the player. I'm, uh, you know, usually in sort of strikes, lockouts, right? You know, the, the players are the millionaires, the owners are the billionaires. And so sure. I'm always on the side of the, the closest thing to the underdog, which is in this case, the millionaires. And so anyway, um, I don't think that Carlson should take one less penny than his contract owes him. I know some fans suggest that. I think that that is crazy. Carlson has... Uh, 
you know, totally earned his sort of the contract that he signed, you know, has he been as good as a contract kind of, you know, suggested or demanded that he be? No, he hasn't been. But when he signed it, he was indeed arguably the best defenseman in the world. So he got a contract that was befitting that. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, what did the Sharks owe him? And I think that that is a, a fair question. Uh, overall, you know, if we compare it to Brent Burns, right? And last year, the Sharks were sort of in the same position with Brent Burns, where Brent Burns uh, wanted to go somewhere where he had a chance to win a Stanley Cup. He, you know, was older. His contract had risked more because of his age, uh, Burns I'm talking about. But sure. the Sharks took, I, you know, I think not the very best offer that they, they could have got for Burns. But, you know, Burns obviously, uh, Burns versus Carlson, right? Burns obviously... Uh, Played the best years of his life in San Jose. Um, he won a Norris Trophy with the Sharks. Was a Norris finalist a couple other times. So you know he leaves. He led. He left the Sharks. You know, leading in virtually every defensive uh, category in terms of pro productivity, goals, points, all that kind of stuff, right? And mm -hmm. so I think most fans would agree that Brent Burns, like. You, you don't want to 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 kind of do do Brent Burns dirty kind of you know uh, he yeah. he's earned uh, um, you know as quickly as you can expedite it a, a somewhere where he wants to play at least I think most Sharks fans would agree with that uh, Carlson I think yeah, obviously Carlson uh, has uh, you know at least half more than half uh, uh, less the tenure than Burns and and it's been a very up and down ride uh, with yep. Carlson. Um, you know, going back to last season, you know, Carlson had arguably he was the least valuable player in NHL if you count his injury history, contract, and age, you know, into, into everything. Uh, yeah, and so, absolutely. yeah, a lot of Sharks fans were disenchanted uh, with Carlson. And so I I get that the Sharks don't owe uh, uh, Carlson what I think that they owed Burns. You know, I, I, I think that's 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 a that's a fair point of view i mean again i'm all for you know player centric I mean, yeah. the know, reality is, yeah. is is that he was brought in for such a high price and that price right. continually gets you know brought up whenever we talk about tim stutzla and talk about josh norris in ottawa and how they rebuilt their team already because of the picks and the prospects that we gave them and we got one one stanley cup run out of it like well, not even a stanley cup i would argue one one run. point there though that um yeah. That uh, when the trade happened, though, let's not forget that everybody thought the Sharks won that trade. Oh, yeah. I'm not right? denying that. Right. Fact. Everyone they thought that that first well. round pick would be, well, that's going to be a late pick because the Sharks mm -hmm. didn't protect it. You know, that's that was, the, that was the mistake, uh, the mistake there, you know, uh, yeah. though the Sharks didn't protect it, you know, for I, I know a good reason. They were trying to, uh, you know, the, the Ottawa would have asked for something to, to protect the pick, basically. And so, yeah, you know, the so reality is, is that the Sharks fans feel like we gave up those things sure. and we got one one playoff run. Whereas Burns, sure. we gave yeah. up Charlie Coyle, Devin Setaguchi. That's about it. And right. we got like 10 playoff runs with Brent Burns and right, one of right. them went to the Stanley Cup finals. Yeah. So like, there's a lot, a lot of more prime goodwill. Brent Burns. Right. Sure. Yeah. A lot of prime Brent Burns, a lot of goodwill towards Burns, where Carlson doesn't get the same goodwill from fans, despite right. last year being a Norris winner. Right, um, right, and that's that's fair. You know, I I'm not dis this discounting that. Yeah, but I, uh, so I don't think the Sharks owe what they owe Burns. So I mean, I I do understand if um the Sharks kind of want to hold Carlson a, a little bit longer, even into the season. Sure, yeah, and uh, there's a there's a significant risk with doing that, right? Like if they hold on to him, there's an injury risk. He's that's what I'm worried about. Yeah, prone. 
and a performance risk. This was the one year where Carlson, like the, the reins were taken off and he went with it and he showed he can still be that kind of player, but it, it's, it could be system dependent. Um, and he did have to sacrifice a lot of his defensive game to do it. So is that going to happen again under David Quinn? Possibly. Um, or will Carlson also, you know, maybe not perform as well because he's been kind of not performing well for four years prior. Right. Um, is it possible he just regresses to a mean that he's, you know, more actually at rather than the superstar level he was last year? Right, right, right. I mean, this is, uh, uh, you know, you know, I, you, you can't play down this risk. This is a higher than usual. It's a significant risk. You know, Carlson was hampered by injury and or performance problems in his previous four years, you know, before 2022, 23. There's a reason why his trade value is low because teams saw, yeah, how great he was last year, but teams also saw how subpar he was for most of the four years previous. And sure. so, yeah, I, I, I think that this is, this is, uh, this is something that, um, you know, a lot, you know, a, a lot of fans are assuming that Carlson comes back and he's kind of the same or he is, you know, maybe not like historical, like popping 100 points again, but he's going to be awesome again next year. And that might be the case, you know, and I hope so because I love watching Eric Carlson at his best. So great to watch him this past season. So great to watch sort of the flashes that we saw even the previous years uh, in, in San Jose. Uh, but it's it's a huge 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 risk and of course one that i've said many times that i wouldn't take but let's talk about you know taking that risk right even more and let's talk about sort of the you know we talked about the obvious you know risk with bringing carlson back be it you know injury performance risk um mm -hmm. also too you know what we what we started off with you know that uh Carlson just doesn't want to be here. <laughs> yeah. But um, but uh, let's talk about uh, kind of now um, kind of the less obvious kind of uh, concerns uh, or risk about uh, bringing surrounding uh, bringing uh, Carlson back to the Sharks. And uh, for this one, you know, I reached out to a couple of lead, league sources, um, agent, uh, multiple front office people. Just I was curious about their thoughts, uh, just sort of. Um, you know, what do you worry about when you bring back a star player that doesn't want to, you know, be, you know, where he's at? And the agent told me, uh, this was an interesting response that essentially, um, uh, for a non-playoff team, there's really no concerns. <laughs> <laughs> and that could, that, that could be where, uh, that's probably where the Sharks are going to fall. And sure. for a playoff team, uh, uh, the concern more is that, you know, you want everybody to be kind of all in, you know, committed to winning and not about, you know, me, 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 or getting out of town. Right. And so that's kind of, uh, so, so that, that was, that was that perspective. Um, I talked with, uh, uh, NHL front office person and what they said was, yeah, you know, possibly, uh, uh, the coach, you know, wouldn't want a guy who isn't bought in or who doesn't want to be there, which, you know, makes sense. Right. So that's, that's another kind of uh, concern there. I think most of the concerns in this sort of uh, quadrant are, you know, how is this player going to mess with the locker room? Uh, how sure. is the player going to interact sort of this player interact with just everything going on when he doesn't want to, to be there. And I think that, um, you know, speaking about the, the, the issue of the coach, right. That, David Quinn has been pretty clear, and I, I believe him, that he would welcome Eric Carlson back with open arms. And even though the Sharks are not, you know, projected to be a playoff team and 
and and so and 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 so so you know uh with that you know you don't you still don't want even for non-playoff team you don't you don't want somebody that that isn't bought in that isn't isn't there kind of isn't engaged but we'll say though that uh last year you know the sharks were awful last year and the sharks and carlson were clearly able to work together well last year you know, yep. even when it became clear that, you know, Carlson wanted to bring his elevated play uh, to, uh, you know, closer to contending team. Um, of course, that was last year. Who knows about this year? Yeah. It, I mean, for what it's worth, uh, Carlson seems like uh, the kind of guy that's going to compete no matter what. He's, you know, a very competitive guy. And sure. he's always <laughs> talked about wanting to, you know, play the game hard and everything. So it doesn't seem like, he wouldn't be ha- probably wouldn't be happy about it, but he probably would, you know, still perform up to a, a decent level or his expectations, hopefully. Yeah. Um, and also, yeah. for what it's worth, we're about to have on our guest Michael Santos, um, who was like you mentioned earlier in an NHL front office from '97 to 2014. Um, he also thinks Carlson is a, is a pro, like a consummate professional who's going to play hard, um, and that the Sharks uh, and Carlson would be able to make it work. Um, just his opinion. That's a little mm-hmm. bit of a spoiler there. Um, but, uh, I mean, it's, it's, uh, something that the sharks are going to have to consider as we move closer and closer to the to training camp is maybe right. Carlson will be here. Right, right, right. And so I think overall, like you look at the, the big picture of it, right. And look, like I, I've been pretty clear about how, how, what I think about it, you know, through various, uh, uh articles, uh, this off season. Um, but you know, I'm not, I'm not ignorant of sort of the upside of all of it. And, uh, you know, uh, Michael uh, uh, will kind of talk about a little bit of that upside too. You know that there is an upside to this. And um, looking at it historically, um, you know, you roll the dice for Carlson to start the season. If it pans out, for sure, you know you can be looking at better trade offers on the other side. Uh, look at Alexei Yashin a long time ago in Ottawa. He wanted out of Ottawa. Uh, Matt Duchesne wanted out of Colorado. And they're good examples of players who wanted out but played another season with their respective teams. Now, comparing Carlson to Yashin and Duchesne isn't a perfect comparison. Um, Yashin was 27 when he was traded from the Sens to the Islanders. Duchesne was also 27 when he was traded from the Avs to the Senators. Neither also had the significant injury history that Carlson has, so just not as much risk there. But Mm -hmm. because... Uh, Ottawa kind of uh, held, you know, stuck to their guns, right? You know, Yashin brought back uh, Zdeno Chara, who's still a prospect at that time, kind of an up-and-comer, but uh, obviously Zdeno Chara blossomed into a Norris-caliber defenseman with the Senators. Also, the draft pick that would become Jason Spezza, I think that was the number two pick of that draft. Uh, Duchesne got back Samuel Girard and the pick that would become Bowen Byram, you know, both guys that were a big part of their 2022 Stanley Cup. And so I don't think the Sharks are going to get that much <laughs> for Carlson. Probably so I'm not, not. trying to, uh, not, I'm not trying to, uh, uh, you know, uh, reverse everything I said and like, you know, uh, hold them for, you know, Zdeno <laughs> Chara and Jason Spezza, you know, you're not, I don't think yep. you're going to get that because of, again, age, injury risk, all that kind of stuff. Right. So, but mm-hmm. uh, if Carlson is incredible through next season's trade deadline, you will likely you will get better offers than than you are now. So there is there is the upside uh, uh, to it. Uh, I just don't want people to forget though, just the significant risk too. This is a significant risk. Don't kid yourself. You know, if you're in the camp of 
you know, we, you know, I'm not going to be happy with just taking one of my proposals recently. I'm not going to be happy with a first round pick, Riker Evans, uh, uh, Justin Schultz, and a third round pick for for a Carlson and significant retention. If you're not going to be happy with that, uh, that's fine, and you might get a better offer on on the other side. But don't discount that those are all those are pieces that you know, first round pick Riker Evans. Those are legitimate pieces that can help you uh, with your rebuild. So you know, don't basically you know don't ignore what's out there too, and how that can that that can help you because you know you may end up. Carlson may keep improving his trade value for sure, or uh, something can happen, which has has happened, you know, once again with Carlson in most of his uh, recent history, something can happen and you're stuck with negative value again. Yeah. And, and just back to the, you know, like everything's from a historical lens, like it became Jason Spezza, Chara became an all-star defenseman. Um, And then when the Sharks traded for Eric Carlson, it was oh man, they got Dylan DeMello and Chris Tierney. Who are those guys? And yeah, Josh, Josh Norris, Norris wasn't. Yeah, who, yeah, he was you know. re- they considered him a reach at the time anyway, yeah. and they were like, oh, he didn't even you know he's he's nothing. And that first so, round pick is going to be a, a late. Yeah, it's going to be a thirty first. So they got DeMello and a thirty first overall. Like man, that's that's terrible. Um, and then you know things change. I think so teams they, have learned from that about not protecting your picks. <laughs> I think they uh, it's going to probably you know, move forward for a very long time that teams are going to protect it. Teams that are even like 31st in the standings were protecting yeah, the, the Bedard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like New Jersey's pick this year was protected right. for the Sharks. Right, New and, Jersey lost every game after they acquired Timo Meyer. Well, we better make sure that we don't yeah. lose out Connor Bedard. <laughs> yeah, somehow they're like the, the almost infinitesimally small chance that they would get Connor right. Bedard in this scenario. But yeah, teams have kind of learned. Anyways, and that's a little bit about the theme of the the Michael Santos interview that we did here that you guys are going to hear about in just a second. Um, it's all kind of like a historical, it's all like through a historical lens, it could look different. So this is going to be a very pivotal, pivotal moment in Sharks history. The trade of Eric Carlson, the trade for Eric Carlson was also a pivotal moment, but this is going to be a different type and we can't judge it right after it happens. It's going to be four or five, six years from now before right. we actually just like the Timo trade. Exactly. And just like Timo, which people had varied opinions on the, the return there too. But I think this is a, a good time. This is going to be kind of a shorter lead in for everybody because this interview with, with Mike is very long, very in depth is information about the team 33 scouting services. Very cool. And I, I think that's something that's not out there on the internet at all. So I hope you guys enjoy some kind of like behind the scenes, look at things and, and uh, some uh, the nitty gritty of, of scouting, if you will. From 1997 to 2018, Michael Santos was everywhere and did everything in hockey. He's been an assistant general manager with the NHL's New York Islanders and Florida Panthers. He was general manager of the AHL's Rochester Americans and San Antonio Rampage. He was president of the ECHL's Norfolk Admirals. He was also director of hockey operations for the Islanders, Panthers, and Nashville Predators. He's now heading Team 33. He helped find. Uh, he helped found it too. And that's not the 33rd NHL team. Team 33 is an independent scouting service that consults for NHL teams staffed entirely by ex-NHL front office members. Team 33's advisory board features former NHL executives like First Sharks GM Jack Ferreira and Neil Smith. Team 33 also has 21 pro scouts this uh, this past season in NHL arenas, including Michelle Goulet, Dwayne Sutter, John Van Boxmere, and the wild thing himself, Al Iafredi. 
So think of Team 33 as adding an entire front office of experience to your NHL team. Michael is now here now to talk about lend his front office insight and experience on everything San Jose Sharks and Eric Carlson. Welcome to the San Jose Hockey Now podcast, Mike. Thanks, Shang. It's great, great to be here with you. And Mike, I want to hit the ground running here. One of the advantages of Team 33 is you seem to go out of your way to talk to everybody in the league. You're not just confined to your one team. So are you hearing anything about an Eric Carlson trade? Oh, I hear I hear everything, but probably all the same things that you hear. Um, <laughs> you know, obviously he's he's the marquee name in the marketplace right now. Um, you know, given his talent and given uh what the Sharks are, are doing right now in what looks like a rebuild so they can be very competitive here in the near future. Um, so, I mean, he's he's the guy out there. I, I liken him to uh, Damian Lillard in the NBA. You know, he's the, he's the prize right now. So somebody uh, somebody's going to have to put together a heck of a package if, uh, if the Sharks are going to move him on because the Sharks really need to get a premium for him. Mm-hmm. And, Mike, we're going to get um, to a little bit more Eric Carlson trade talk in just a bit. But um, we're going to go back a, a little bit. I'm curious about your path to an NHL front office. And then can you share a little bit about your background, how you got into the NHL? Because it seems like it's a very long list of teams there. <laughs> Is there sure. a shortened version? Um, well, I mean, my path was a little different just because the times were different. Um, but essentially, I, I played the sport uh, growing up. Um, eventually went to Boston College. I, I was born in Boston, grew up in Boston, and uh, had a number of roommates in college who all signed NHL contracts. And without a realistic shot at the NHL for myself, it was something that uh, I really wanted to get involved with and hopefully at the management level. Um, I also had a desire to go to law school while I was in college. And um, so out of college, had the opportunity to do a full-time internship with the NHL in New York, um, which led to um, really exciting projects like creating the NHL All-Star Weekend with a group of mm-hmm. uh, folks in New York, um, such things as the skills competition, not exactly how it exists today, but, but <laughs> at least when it, when it was created um, and, when it was, uh, and when it was in San Jose back in the 90s what oh. that, was a, that was a great uh that was a great all-star event. yeah oh and oh and pointing at dominic Hashin. yes yes <laughs> yeah who could forget that and yeah. um and um and of course you know the game itself what we also had um uh the heroes of hockey game back then which mm. again right uh, the the one in san jose is one of my fondest memories um we actually had a team at that time the sharks were, were still fairly new in the league so we had a team of uh former california seals oh that okay. played against uh against the uh, nhl hall uh old timers so it was uh it was a heck of an event that night too uh, uh wanted to oh go ahead no um that's fine interrupt <laughs> Sorry about that, Mike. Uh, I, I wanted to uh, also uh, ask you, actually, uh, you mentioned your college roommates who uh, signed NHL contracts. Uh, uh, who were some of your, your uh, roommates or, uh, you know, housemates back then? I had actually a, a whole plethora of guys with me that uh, even guys that weren't my roommates that played in the league. Some guys, for instance, one that played for the Sharks for a little bit was Craig Janney. Oh, you're right. Um, that, that I remember. Sure, uh, great playmaker. Yeah, with the Sharks. Oh, great hands. Some of the yeah. best hands I've ever seen. And almost a point-of-game player in the NHL. Mm-hmm. People people don't realize that about him. Um, but my uh, my immediate room was, was actually Ken Hodge Jr. 
who oh. played uh, played for the Bruins, of yep. course, at thirty. And his goals. dad was an NHLer. Yes, his dad was uh, also a, a real popular player with Boston back in the seventies. Um, Bob Sweeney, who uh, played again also for the Bruins, Calgary, the Islanders. Um, Kevin Stevens, another another popular name back in the day with Pittsburgh, among other teams. Um, Doug Brown, who uh, played uh, primarily with Detroit, but also early in his career with New Jersey. Um, there's really a there's really a whole list of guys. Uh, I think there was 11 or 12 uh, in all wow. that made it to the NHL during my wow. you know that I was with during my four years of college. So it was uh, yeah. you know, an interesting group of guys, and um, really made. Uh, made it a lot of fun for me trying to break into league on a, on the management level. So, um, I, um, spent my years with the NHL. I also worked two years in the American hockey league with the new Haven Nighthawks. Um, exciting times because at that time they were owned and affiliated with the Los Angeles Kings. That was just after Gretzky had been traded from Edmonton. Oh, okay. Some pretty exciting times there for a couple of years. Um, I went to law school actually while I worked at the NHL. I went to law school in the evening at St. John's University in New York. Um, and uh, nearing the end of my law school, I accepted a position with the Islanders, became the assistant general manager there. Um, worked primarily with Mike Milbury as the general manager during my time there. Um, and then went on to... Uh, uh, actually, for a year, uh, went with the Florida Panthers the first time I was with them. And um, and then we went into the first work stoppage that actually canceled the NHL season. Um, so at that time, I, uh, I jumped over and took over the North American Hockey League uh, for three years and built that into uh, pretty much what it is now, a national league. Um, and then... Uh, Person who had worked for me in hockey operations, Mark Frankfeld, has taken it over and done a, a great job with that with that league since then. Um, from there, I uh, had uh, interviewed for several positions, a couple of general manager positions, but eventually uh, was offered and accepted a position in Nashville with the Predators, mm -hmm. um, an expansion club. Really enjoyed my time there. had uh, had a great experience working uh, directly for David Poyle, who just mm -hmm. retired this year. Uh, and what a career he had. Um, and then uh, finished um, my NHL career to this point with the Florida Panthers as assistant general manager. Um, and then since then, uh, I've been doing a few things. I, I did take over the Norfolk Admirals for uh, a little more than a year in the ECHL, which was a really interesting experience. Um, I've also been involved in uh, the Eastern Hockey League, which is a Tier 3 junior hockey league in the East Coast. Um, they, they actually provide quite a few division two and three players for college hockey. And, um, and, uh, in the last, uh, five years, but particularly the last couple of years, I've been working on this project, uh, team 33, which is, uh, really starting to make some, you know, make some progress yeah. now. And we've got a few NHL teams using it and, um, and I think, um... I think it's a hockey operations management program that'll really that'll really help clubs here in the future. So Mike, you mentioned the, the team 33, the project that you've been developing for the past few years, how did that come about? And, and what's a, a little bit more background on that? Okay. So, um, so I had, um, you know, I had held 
several positions um, as an assistant general manager. Um, I tell folks, especially today, I was, uh, was talking with David Quinn yesterday about this. When I, I like to say, when I was an assistant general manager, there was an assistant general manager. Now teams seem to have four or five of them. <laughs> and so, uh, um, in fact, I think the Leafs just hired their fifth one, Derek Clancy. Mm -hmm. But, um, but uh, you know, my time was at a premium, and I really had to find ways to do things more efficiently. Um, it was a real busy job. And so mm -hmm. I, I was finding ways to do that. Um, and then during the pandemic, I decided that, you know, I could put all of those different things that I had learned, things that I thought were more efficient and better ways to do things such as scouting or, uh, or, or search for players that fit your needs, um, you know, uh, make trade proposals, analyze transactions, you know, make good, solid decisions on, you know, who you send to the American Hockey League, who you recall in their place. Um, and so I, uh, I began uh, working to put it all together into a program that's really a hockey operations management program. Um, it's meant to help uh, particularly executive level employees, such as the general manager, maybe an assistant general manager, even an owner could use this um, to understand more about what's going on with his, his or her team. Um, and so um, that's, really, that's really how I position it. It's a hockey operations management program. And if you can imagine, we operate as if we're an NHL club. We have, uh, we have employees that are you know, experienced NHL people, uh, former NHL general managers, assistant general managers, scouts, um, coaches and um, and some folks come and leave uh, year by year because maybe they're employed again by a, an NHL club in some capacity. Uh, for instance, I had Barry Trotz working for uh, Team 33 last year, and now he's you know in a general manager's position. Um, I'm sure he would tell you that just in the you know in a less than a year that he spent with us, that the program really helped prepare him for the position he's in now as a first-time general manager. Um, so, so that's, you know, that's really how I position the program. Um, some of the benefits of it are that um, the information that we are able to provide is without bias. Mm -hmm. And um, that may seem like a small thing uh, when you first think about it, but when you're in an organization, it's very easy to become, you know, uh, bias about players, either positively or negatively. You know, perhaps, sure. perhaps the player was uh, drafted from your area as a scout, or or mm -hmm. you had uh, you know you had a lot to do with making the decision to trade for a particular player. Um, you know, maybe uh, he's a player that doesn't play well, and the coach puts him in the doghouse. So this is a this is a way for the organization to take a step back and see what people that are not in their organization think about their players, their transactions or potential transactions, or maybe who, you know, who they can acquire to fill the needs uh, that they have to make their team better. Because I guess if you had drafted and developed and met with a player, their family over many, many years, you might become biased just from a personal perspective rather than a hockey perspective. Yeah, you, you certainly could. You certainly could. Um, so that, you know, that's definitely a, a benefit. There's also things that we do differently from my experience working for clubs um, mm -hmm. without getting too deep into it. 
Um, we, we scout differently. Um, for instance, we put different weights on different attributes um, because they're not worth the same. Uh, I think you'd sure. find that most NHL clubs scout in a way where they rate players on a scale. Maybe it's one to five or one to ten. Um, but the game always changes. And so at different times, different attributes are more important. Like right now, for instance, the skating and hockey sense, you know, thinking the game are a premium. And so they sure. shouldn't be given the same weight as uh, physicality, you know, or uh, shootout, you know, mm-hmm. those types of things. Um, so so those are some of the things we try to do as well. Um, and we there also, was a... Go ahead. We also offer, in my opinion, we offer better coverage. I mean, the typical NHL team, be, because of expense, probably more than anything, we'll have three or maybe four pro scouts, uh, for instance, in North America, covering at minimum the 32 NHL and the 32 AHL teams. So that's, that's a you know, if you divide the work up, you know, that, that could be as many as 20 or so teams that a scout's responsible for. Um, by us having a larger staff, they're, they're more uh, geographically desirable, if you will, um, and they sure. have the opportunity to see teams that they're responsible for much more. So where, where an NHL team scout may see a, a particular team play or a player play six, eight times a season, my guy might see him play 30 times. So we're able we're able to gather more information, um, and it's less expensive for us to do so. Your scouts often uh, live uh, where they're scouting, right? Uh, that's that's what it seems like, and that probably saves on a lot yeah. of cost. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, so none of you know none of our scouts are rarely do they have, for instance, an overnight stay um, or any travel other than by uh, by their car. Um, now the other thing is. You know, it's really a different game than it was, say, 20, 30 years ago, meaning all the rinks are the same size. All the arenas sure. are beautiful. And I'm, I'm sure that maybe the fans of the Shark Tank don't want to hear this. I know the ones in Nashville don't want to hear this. But players really are not intimidated anymore by by playing on the road. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it's just not the same <laughs> as it was in 1970 when you had to go into the Boston Garden or the Chicago Stadium, where sure. you know the rinks were different sizes, teams played different style of games, um, even the glass was a different height in some places, or in some places mm-hmm. there wasn't any glass behind the visitors' bench, and uh, you know, they, you know somebody could grab a hold of your mullet while you were sitting on the bench, and those types of things. <laughs> um, so. It, it, it's just changed. So that means that we can get a, a more fair judgment of a player playing on the road than, uh, than maybe what would happen in the past because it's not such a big difference for the player playing on the road as it is playing at home. And, and there was an article that was out probably a year ago about uh, Team 33 uh, from The Athletic where it mentioned that you guys had partnered with uh, the Canadians ahead of the 2022 draft. Is that right? Yes. There, uh, the, the Canadians. Are there any the other Ducks, teams that you guys? Yeah, uh, the Canadians and the Ducks were, uh, were our first teams last year. Mm-hmm. Um, we just launched the program two seasons ago. The first season, we did not uh, offer it to any teams. We actually went out. And, uh, and did our work and populated the program with information. 
And then mm -hmm. last year it was our first year where we had clubs that were using it and the ducks and the Canadians were the first two teams that used it last year. And we're, uh, we're talking with clubs now, um, one of them, the sharks and, uh, with the hope that uh, more clubs are going to use it this year. And we, we think that's probably, you know, probably a good bet that that's going to happen. In, the, in that article, it mentioned something called the like team 33 value score. And for the listeners, it's kind of from what I can tell, and you might be able to explain a little better, like an all encompassing score attributed to each player that incorporates their performance, scouting reports, their age, their salary, injury, progression curve, um, a whole lot of things, and then kind of puts out a number. Um, can you talk a little bit about that process, how that came about? And, and is that something that you guys still use? Yes. Um, it, it's, it's something actually very unique um, and it allows us to, to do a lot of things in the program. So every player, every draft pick, even future draft pick has a value. Um, what's really unique about it is regardless of where the player may be playing uh, or, if the, or if it's not even a player yet, it's actually a pick maybe in next year's draft or future drafts, um, the value that, they, that the, that asset receives is on the same scale. So for instance, if you're looking at a player who's playing um, in the KHL, um, you can compare that player to a player playing in college hockey, to another player playing in the NHL uh, or the American Hockey League, and everybody's rating is, is on the same scale. So you don't have to predict or project what this player playing at a certain level is going to be like if he gets to the NHL. Our, our uh, value, our Team 33 value does that for you. And it's, and it's done in real time. And as you said, uh, there's a number of things that go into the algorithm, such as, you know, players' performance, but also other things, uh, maybe issues that occur off the ice or injuries, particularly serious injuries. Um, it could be, um, it could be the player's contract and, uh, and whether it's perceived that he's, um, that he's being paid fair value, uh, again, positively or negatively. Um, all those types of things go into creating the value. And then the and then the value is on a 993 point scale, so mm -hmm. if you imagine uh, a 993 would be the perfect player, um, of sure. which I'm sure there's guys out there that think they are, but we have none. So there might be one one in history I can think of, just probably one guy. Yeah, maybe maybe. <laughs> but um, right now I can tell you the the highest guys that uh, that we have score just over 900. Those would be mm -hmm. the, the top players, and those are. And those are qualified as elite players. I mean, there's probably, I mean, our elite players would score from about 850 to uh, to 993, and there's probably 25 or 26 of them in the world. And um, is it? Uh, I guess I have two more questions related to yeah. to the score before we move on to like different parts of the interview. But um, the is it just amateur or pro scouting, or is there amateur scouting as well, like before the drafts? Right now, we only cover uh, pros. Um, we do cover worldwide. Um, any player who is on an NHL reserve list, so that could include some players that have been drafted but not yet signed to a pro contract. Uh, we will have, we do have information, and we do provide information on those players. However, I'm actually working right now with uh, some uh, junior and college coaches. Um, in particular, I'm working with Ted Donato and uh, and Jim Tortorella, John Tortorella's brother at Harvard University, and we're developing the amateur program as we speak. 
So we're, we're hopeful that um, we'll be able to test the prototype for amateur this season. And then mm -hmm. for the 24-25 um, season, we'll be, able to, we'll be able to launch it. And uh, the, the organizations that have our Team 33 program will now also have the amateur program. And I think it'd be, it'll be a great incentive for those that don't have our program to now uh, to get it because we'll be covering amateur hockey as well. Mike, now that you have the, the program pulled up, can you tell us um, some of the numbers that might be uh, related to the Sharks, including maybe Eric Carlson? Sure. Um, I'll pull up the Sharks. Uh, and just a reminder uh, for, for listeners, uh, so any player above 850 is considered elite. Typical top six forward will rate around 500, role player at 150. And this score inc uh, uh, incorporates uh, everything uh, on the ice, scouting reports, salary, age, injury history, progression curve. All right, so we'll start with Eric Carlson. Mm -hmm. uh, Eric Carlson, our program rates him as a 582. Okay. Which is, um, you know, essentially a, a first pair defenseman. Mm -hmm. you know, a one or a two defenseman, um, you know, he's obviously got a big cap hit. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah. Just that's bit, what he did right? nicely. <laughs> and that's, um, you know, and, and that's going to bring down his score a little bit. Mm. You know? I mean, it doesn't mean that he's not a terrific player. In fact, his, his skating is, is fantastic. His, his hockey center is fantastic. I mean, his score in both of those categories is very high. Um, and those are, you know, in, in today's game, the, the two most important scores, I mean, where, where he suffers a little bit is, is his physicality. I don't think that's any sure. surprise to anybody. Um, but he's a, you know, but he's a competitive player and he has a lot of detail to his game. Um, you know, and he, and he still brings a lot of offense. We, you know, we would, we would classify this guy as a transitional defenseman, meaning, you know, he, he trans, you know, he transitions from defense to offense. I mean, this sure. is what, that's his mm -hmm. game, right? 100%. Um, yep. He's a little bit of a risk reward player. Um, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and that means he's a liability in his own end. Um, you know, this guy's, in a, you know, one of our scouts calls him an offenseman instead of a defense. <laughs> I mean, that, I don't think anybody would, would kind of argue that. <laughs> is there, um, is there, um, what player has the uh, maximum score on the Sharks or is it Carlson? Um, you know, I can, I would, I could look through one by one, um, but I would say it's probably Carlson. Okay. Sure. Um, I mean, we can look at a few other guys here just for scores. Um, actually, Logan Couture scores 584, which is mm. right, right there with right him. around there. Sure. Um, you know, overall, Logan Couture is not his skating and his hockey sense is a little bit below Carlson, but again, so is his cap hit. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, yeah, and again, yeah. all these things are you know, taken into account, right? Um, interestingly enough, they're both unrestricted free agents at the end of the 27-28 season. So they're, you know they're in the same position contractually uh just one guy's cap hits three and a half million more than the other 
Mm-hmm. I wanted to also ask you too, uh, uh, since you have the program open, just just curious. Uh, uh, since the Sharks are looking uh, more toward the future, they're rebuilding. Uh, any uh, Barracuda prospects kind of stand out uh, as kind of higher in, in in score? You know, you don't have to mention everybody, but just any anyone stand out from the Cuda. Um, again, I'd have to you know look at these guys individually, but mm. if there's a name or two you want to throw at me. Sure. Um, uh, Willie Mecklen. Uh, Keegan, yeah. if you've got a name. Gushin and Bordalo. I think those three. Okay. The... Okay. So let's do Gushin first. He's right in front of me. Um, uh, Gushin r- right now, his value is uh, 182. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Now that that means he's, you know, he's probably a third line player in the future. In fact, that's what we have him as a third line role player. Um, his skating is above average, but not elite. Same thing with his hockey sense. Um, he's a pretty good, uh, you know, overall offensive player, mm-hmm. and he's better than average defensively. Um, same thing with his competitiveness and his playmaking. Um, he can contribute on the power play and the PK, um, and he can even hang in there and shoot out. But again, he's he's not a physical player, and that yep. and and that hurts him. Um, and that seems to be a lot of of what I see on the Sharks right now is not a lot of physicality. Mm. Um, yeah, and then um, it probably might be the same for um, Eklund as well. I mean, he's got a little bit more physicality to him, but um, did you say Bordalo? Who do you want to see next? Uh, Bordalo and Eklund, I guess. Okay, let's do Bordalo first. Yeah. And uh, so Bordalo again, he's in, he's a one sixty three. Mm. So again, uh, he's lower than Gushin. Yeah. Yeah. So he's in that same. You know, he's in that same area. Um. It, their skating and hockey sense are pretty uh, pretty much the same. Um, he's not as, quite as good a defensive player. He's average, but he's uh, but he's not quite as as good um, and a little bit less competitive as a player. Um, he will contribute on the power play and a little bit on the on the penalty kill. Um, but again, his physicality is way down. Um, I mean, he's up. He, we have his fit in the organization as a playmaker, but he's a depth scorer and still still a future prospect. So his his three year projection is is to be a role player. Can uh, uh, players, I guess, change uh, their scores sure. kind of over time? I know this is a projection, so this is also accounting for kind of what you guys see their futures as. But like, can mm-hmm. that happen? Where you know. Uh, 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 Thomas Borlo eats his Wheaties this summer and uh, suddenly yeah. uh, he's somebody else. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. I mean, look, I mean, players have the ability to, to, to improve, um, you know, whether that's, uh, you know, their skills on the ice or mm-hmm. their strength. Um, a lot of times, you know, what we see at this level is just their, is their, um, their attitude and their willingness to go into tough areas. I mean, a lot of these players, remember, they come up and they're, you know, their top players, um, whether it be scoring or, or playmaking, um, but their top players uh, when it comes to their skill set, either in junior or college or sure. wherever they're coming from. And then, you know, the NHL in particular is a, is a whole different level. And so sometimes if you're Thomas Bordalo, you may have been a guy that could, uh, you know, that could show off your skills at the lower levels, but now you've got to, to make it in the NHL, you've got to become a third line player. And that, you know, that requires you to do some different things than mm-hmm. maybe you were used to doing. And so those players that can that transition 
and do those things and, and maybe become more physical or more willing to go into those hard areas will be successful. Yeah, I want to remind our, our listeners that the Team 33 value score, uh, that is uh, obviously a numerical, uh, but uh, there's algorithm to that. But um, this is also uh, vetted from 21 pro scouts who are watching, you know, the uh, the, the different, uh, uh, all these different players are watching the Barracuda. And so, uh, mm -hmm. so I... These scores I know are maybe a, a little uh, a little depressing for Sharks fans listening now, <laughs> looking ahead to yeah. the future. But uh, let's uh, uh, let's end off with uh, Willie Mecklen then. Maybe uh, maybe a uh, uh, Mike can bring some cheer to uh, to to Sharks fans right now. Yeah, Eklund um, Eklund seems to be uh, well, he scores higher at a one ninety three. Okay, and, and mm -hmm. we should mention that these scores aren't static. Mm -hmm. So for sure. instance. Sure. Um, you know, a, an elite level player would score above 850, but a first yep. line player would would score, you know, about 600 or more. Mm -hmm. um, so there, you mm -hmm. know, there's 250 point difference, between, you know, where a lot of players fit between one category to the next. Um, but even more so when you when you go from the first line down to second through line four, you know, there can be a there can be as much as a 400 point difference mm. in our score. So, 100%, yep. Eklund, um, Eklund scores 193, um, which puts him at the, you know, you know, a second line type player. Mm -hmm. um, that's what he's projected to be, a second line player. Um, you mm -hmm. know, he's a winger. Again, not a very big guy. Um, you sure. know, like, like Bordalo. I mean, he's, he's barely 5'10", if that. Uh, not a very heavy guy. Uh, you know, hopefully that, you know, that improves with, uh, with your strength and conditioning coach. Um, the Wheaties, but um, <laughs> but you know, again, his his skating and hockey sense are in the same area. Um, his offensive ability overall is a little bit better, as is his defensive ability, than say yep. a Borbolo. Um, and he's and he seems to be a much more competitive player. Mm, yeah. um, his playmaking his playmaking ability is higher than the other two, as is his ability to contribute on the power play or the penalty kill. Mm. Uh, he's also you know a little bit better. Uh, than the other two, um, actually significantly better as a shootout player, um, hmm. but he lacks he lacks physicality. He really does, um, and that's uh, that's one of the things he's got to improve. Sure, and that's something that's been mentioned with uh, Bordalo, and he's you know tried to take that to heart through last season and probably this season as well. Yeah, I think Johnny McCarthy will have uh, will have a lot to say about these kids for sure. Hmm. Well, uh, Mike, uh, uh, thank you so much for uh, this uh, uh, introduction into uh, Team 33. I think uh, you mentioned to me before, too, that eventually you guys want to go to a subscription platform. So that means that uh, Keegan and myself, we can subscribe or you guys listening, you right. guys can subscribe to Team 33 and get these kind of scattering reports and uh, insight from uh, pro scouts, NHL experienced scouts. But uh, moving on, though, uh, Mike, uh, one of the big reasons why I wanted to have you on, I wanted to explore a couple of Eric Carlson scenarios with you from a front office perspective. And obviously, with all your front office experience, for, uh, what is it, uh, 20, 20 plus years uh, of it. So right now, uh, at the moment, it appears that the offers for Eric Carlson, they aren't really moving the needle for the Sharks. Uh, on the other hand, though, it's very, very public that Eric wants wants out from the Sharks. You know, understandably so. You know, he's 33. He wants to he wants to win while he still is performing at, at a high level. Um, 
so I wanted to talk to you about this hypothetical of Eric Carlson starting the season off with the Sharks. And just off the top, uh, you know, going back to your front office experience, you know, what are some of the concerns that stand out to you about having a player come back who doesn't really want to be here? I don't, I mean, I don't have particular concerns. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, I liken this to when a player files for salary arbitration. Mm -hmm. okay. And often, you know, often teams are very careful about what they say to the player in arbitration. Like they're going to upset that player for some reason. Um, but the reason I liken it to a salary arbitration system is in the NHL, in 90% of the cases, the player is the one who elects to go to salary arbitration. And in this case with Carlson, I mean, he's the one that wants to go somewhere else till mm -hmm. he can win. Um, so, you know, that's, you know, that's great that the Sharks are going to, you know, make that happen at some point, but the Sharks have to think about the Sharks because mm. <laughs> when Eric sure. Carlson leaves, the Sharks have to be competitive, right? And, sure. and so I don't, I don't think that's a problem. And if, uh, you know, if, if it becomes a problem for Eric Carlson, then I think, and, and I, and I don't think it will. I mean, what I know about him, I think he's a pro. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, you know, he'll, he's made his feelings known. I think the sharks realize that they've got to do the best to, to build their organization and they'll wait it out. Um, but I, I don't want to see the NHL get to be like the NBA. And what I mean by that yeah. is, you know, these guys for years, and I know the new CBA is coming out in the NBA and it'll be a little bit different, but, you know, you saw for years, these players that's, you know, finally got their big second or third contracts from a place like Oklahoma city, for instance, mm -hmm. right? with all those players they had back in the day, Harden and Durant and, and, uh, uh, Russell and yeah. Westbrook. And, um, and then, you know, they got the big money, the max they could get. And then they said, okay, now I want to leave. <laughs> Why? Yeah. Because they knew that team would give it to them, right? Because yep. if they didn't, they'd leave. And then they lose they for nothing, leave, basically. Then they, then they forced them to stay way out of there. And now we're at a point in the NBA where you see, like, for instance, Damian Lillard, he not only wants to leave, but he wants to go to this particular team. Mm -hmm. And so you need to make yeah. that happen. And I, I don't, I hope the NHL doesn't go that way. I don't think the NHL will go that way. Um, and, uh, and so I don't see, I don't see it being a problem. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure there's been, there's been good discussion between, you know, the hockey operations folks, especially Mike Greer and Eric Carlson and his, and his representatives. And they're, you know, they're going to try to do the best thing for both parties, but the sharks have to have to do what's best for the sharks. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but, um, in Ray Bork's final year or final years anyways, mm -hmm. in, uh, with the Bruins, oh, sure, yeah. I mean, the same thing pretty much happened. And, um, and he thought he was getting traded, uh, at the end of the year before, but the trade didn't happen. Mm -hmm. uh, he came back with Boston the next year. He was still the captain of the team. Um, uh, he was a good soldier. There was no. There was no internal issue, and it went to the, the dime the following year. And all all signs pointed that he was going to end up in Philadelphia, and then mm -hmm. he ended up in Colorado. And lo and behold, he won a Stanley Cup in Colorado. Sure. Yeah, oh, rest he, rest is history, right? And yeah. he was happy. And and the interesting thing, especially as a person from Boston, was 
he actually spoke to the Bruins and said, I'd like to bring the cup back to Boston when I have my day with it. And, <laughs> right. the, Bruins, and the Bruins had no problem with it. He did it. And they had a nice celebration and everything was good. So, you know, I think, I think you've got a guy in Carlson who's a pro. Mm-hmm. I know you've got a, a really good general manager there in Mike Greer and, and really good people there that um that both sides will handle this and i don't think there's going to be there's going to be any issue if if eric has to start the season or even play a good portion of the season with the sharks i think he'll you know for himself he'll he'll want to play his best and for Mm -hmm. teammates that he has at the time and for the opportunity to uh, maybe move somewhere else he'll want to play well sure sure um you know uh speaking with uh i've spoken with uh different uh uh sources league sources agents uh team executives uh, about this sort of uh issue uh so to speak and um one thing that does uh that does uh, come out that i've heard a couple places is that there is a you know there can be you know maybe i'm not necessarily saying necessarily with eric um there can be an issue of a buy-in from a player that doesn't want to be there be there and how that affects the room um obviously too uh the risk are to injury right eric carlson can get hurt or it can be a decline in performance but i guess i wanted to ask you in general though um about past situations and and what we can learn from that and if you know things like buy-in are are, are a concern uh and actually a situation that you were kind of involved in uh, alexei yashin uh, in ottawa had the same situation mm-hmm. kind of where uh he wanted out and they kept him until the next year and eventually he was traded to the new york islanders who you uh right. were working for at the time and then more recently um we have uh, matt duchene in colorado same kind of situation um and in the Colorado held on to him and uh, and and uh, and traded him the the next year. But anyway, just uh, uh, from past situations, you know, obviously it worked out for 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 uh, Ray Bork in Boston. So a lot of it seems to depend on how professional the player himself is. But uh, you know, any 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 sort of uh, uh, thought on that, on just sort of what we can learn from uh, past historical examples. Yeah, I mean, so I think there's I think there's a big difference between one situation to the next. Sure. And you know, in this case with Carlson, the situations about him wanting to, you know, move on to a team that's, you know, going to challenge to win the Stanley Cup, he doesn't feel like San Jose is there right now and the Sharks are looking to, you know, do the best they can for the organization so they can, you know, be a Stanley Cup contender, you know, as soon as possible. Um but when you look at other situations, the difference is those situations are often contractual situations. Mm. Carlson's mm. situation is sure. not a contract. He gets paid very well. Mm-hmm. Um, he agreed to that contract. Uh, I, I'm guessing, you know, it was easy for him to agree to that contract given the amount <laughs> he's being paid. And so, you know, he has an obligation to honor that contract and, and earn that money that uh, that he's going to be paid. Um, a lot of situations, you bring the Yashin situation back, and boy, that, that really goes back into my memory. Mm. But the situation in Ottawa, in Ottawa with Yashin was contractual. Mm. And, right, he wanted uh, a raise, I believe, right? Yeah, he wanted a big raise, and he got one when he got to the <laughs> Islanders. Um, but but that was um, but that was a you know so that was a different situation, and and one where the player you know didn't want to play because it really wasn't it wasn't worth it for him to play. Sure. But in Carlson's situation, it's not worth it for him not to play. Mm. I mean, that's a lot of money. And, um, you know, injury could happen at any time in, in any situation. Sure. But I, I don't think any player 
you know, goes in and, and thinks about that. If they do, that's when they're going to get hurt. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's the risk, uh, it's the risk you take, but, um, I think that's the biggest difference when you look at these different situations mm. is, is it a contractual situation or is a player, you know, got a nice contract and he just wants to get to a place where he can win. Yeah, and it's just to kind of go off what you're saying uh, that it's you know obviously worth it. You know, Eric Carlson, uh, 11.5 million AAV. He's the highest paid defenseman in the league. Still, so that it's definitely worth it for him to play, and it's not worth it for him to not perform right up to his uh, his value. But uh, one more question uh, off of off of this too, and uh, I I'll say that I'm on the side of I've been consistently this summer uh, saying that I think that the Sharks should trade Carlson this summer, just get the best that they can this summer and kind of move on from it. But I do want to mention this, uh, that, and you know, the fans know this too, that there is a big payoff here, possibly, um, Yashin and Duchesne, uh, that their teams, Ottawa and, uh, Colorado waited it out. Obviously, uh, Ottawa got, uh, the pick that would be Jason Spezza and Zidane Ochara and, Colorado got a uh, Sam Gerrard and a pick that would be Bowen Byram. So there is sort of uh, there is a possible big payoff here, uh, though. It should be mentioned that they are much younger and they were uh, Yashin and Duchesne were much younger and less injury prone than Carlson when they were finally dealt. But uh, just Mike, just the question uh, for you here is just that you know you seem to be on the side of the Sharks should hold out and just wait for the the best package, even run the risk of taking Carlson into the season and just come what may into uh, the next trade deadline. Yeah, I think, I think that, um, you know, Carlson's made his wishes known, uh, but the sharks have to do what's, what's best for the sharks. Mm -hmm. I really do. Um, You know, and and this is a situation where, again, as you mentioned, he's the highest paid defenseman in the league, 11 and a half million dollars. That's not an easy hit to your salary cap. You know, that's Mm going to be, I don't know, 13, 14% of your salary cap in one player. So, you know, there are not a lot of teams that can make that deal and, and add him, sure. especially teams that are, you know, going to be the top competitors for the, to win the Stanley Cup. Like those teams are usually the teams that are up there pretty high in, in the cap. Um, so, so I think that it's really smart for the Sharks to be patient. Mm-hmm. Um, who knows? Maybe a year from now, you know, I, I'd have to look at teams' rosters and their payrolls. But some other teams, you know, at that time, maybe lose, you know, they may lose some money from their cap and all of a sudden they can become suitors. Sure. So, so maybe there's a pool of two or three teams now. Maybe, uh, you know, next year at the end of the season, that pool becomes six or seven teams. And so, right. And the cap is supposed to go up too. Right. It's, you know, you never want to be in a position where there's only, you know, where there's only one team. Right. Um, and you never want to yep. be in a position where, um, where the player not only wants out, but then also tries to control where he goes. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's the NBA situation. And I, I just think it's, I think that's ugly for the NBA, for teams, for fans. You know, when the guy says, I, you know, I want to trade. Thanks for the, thanks for the big contract. I want to trade. And here's where I want to go. You know, I want to go where they sell lots of suntan lotion and uh, and have. And have you know. So I, yeah, I, I, I don't know if I'm taking the side here um, because I don't think Carlson's like that, or at least hasn't been like that so far. Mm-hmm. I just think the Sharks have to be patient and make the right deal. 
And um, I mean, I keep talking about the NBA, but look at, you know, the Brooklyn Nets. I mean, they, you know, they were patient with uh, Kevin Durant mm-hmm. last year. They thought they were going to trade him last summer. They ended up trading him in the, in the late winter. Right. Um, like those mm-hmm. kind of things. Yeah. So, yeah. He was great in Brooklyn too, before he got traded. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, I don't, yeah, I don't think he was a problem there, which was yeah. great. Um, I don't anticipate that'll be a problem for the Sharks, but I, but I do know that eleven and a half million is a is a lot of money for any team to take on its cap, and especially if you're if you're going to try to give them to a team that thinks they can win the cup. Okay. Well, I I have one more Carlson scenario for you, slightly different, uh, definitely crazier. <laughs> so okay. as we know, uh, Eric has four years. Uh, 11.5 million AAV, but looking at the details of his contracts, actually very interesting that um, he's actually only, only, you know, only in big quotes, he's only owed 39 million over the next four years. That, that, that works out to a 9.75 million a year uh, uh, average. And so that's, that is significantly less than his AAV. And so I, I wonder, um, you know, there there was a rumor out there reported by uh, Frank Saravalli that um, the Penguins would be willing to take on Carlson at twenty percent retainment, and twenty percent retainment is about nine point five million a, a, a year. So the 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 problem for the Sharks there is that uh, the Penguins don't sound like they're willing to offer much on top of that. You know, the 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 Sharks' reward there is just getting Carlson's contract mostly off the books with very low uh, retention. And that sort of generally seems to be, at least at the moment, the interest in Carlson right now, fair or not, you know, but that is sort of what the what the market is saying about Carlson uh, right now. And so I wonder in my sort of wild scenario, uh, Mike, just is this feasible at all that Carlson has a deal kind of, uh, you know, he makes a deal with the Penguins that, okay. Uh, I will sign for you for four years, say $39 million. So he, he's made whole. He doesn't lose uh, a cent of cash in, in this deal, right? And he and the Sharks agree to terminate the, the contract, and which makes Carlson a free agent. But he has this deal with the Penguins, you know, kind of uh, already already completed. And I know it's a wild scenario, but it's been brought up to me. And it, it makes sense in some kind of ways. And there is some minor precedent for it this summer with a Philippe Sedina who walked away from 4.56 million, not, not 39 million, but 4.56 million cash from Detroit Red Wings and signed with the Sharks for just one year, 1.1 million. Uh, but if Carlson is made whole, whole in, uh, in something like this, is this, is this something that is, you know, con- conceivable? Because at least for the Sharks here, you get, you get totally off the hook of Carlson's contract. Um, and Carlson gets to go where he wants and he doesn't lose uh, you know, any cash. Well, I, I think there's a, I think there's just a lot too, a lot, even too much at play there. Sure. I mean, you know, you're telling me that Carlson wants to go and, you know, compete for a Stanley cup team. Well, I know there's an, you know, an aging Crosby and Malkin in Pittsburgh, but are they really a top competitor for the Stanley cup? No, no, they, but they're better they, than they, the sharks though. <laughs> well, but really, they're not because they didn't make the playoffs last year either, either right? And, and true, so at true. least the Sharks got a nice big lottery pick for, for their season. Yeah. Um, so true. you know, so that that's that's part of the game. The other part of it is, you know, if you're the Sharks, I don't think they should have to pay for somebody else's cap issues. Mm. Um, 
you know, if that makes sense. In other words, they, why should they have to jump through hoops so Carlson can go, you know, where he wants to go and it makes it work for another another team's salary cap problems? Well, they get the whole contract off the books, though, because the talk is that the Sharks will have to retain a significant amount to move Carlson, be it, you know, 20%, which is sort of what it seems to be right now. And, you know, upwards, obviously, the max for retention is 50%. So in this scenario, you you wash your hands completely of Carlson's contract, which is, which is uh, you know, cap space, right, is pretty much the most valuable thing these days. Um, yeah, but, I mean, do the Sharks have a cap problem right now? No, they don't. Yeah, so... Yeah. So I don't, again, I, I don't think the Sharks should worry about, you know, other teams' cap space. I think the Sharks need to make a deal in which they get the right assets back. Okay. Whether that's prospects, draft picks, you know, hopefully both for their sake. For, this for sure. Player. I mean, this is, you know, I know he's, a, he's primarily an offensive player, but he is the highest played defenseman in the game. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's an all-star yep. player. There's no doubt about it. And so, you know, they should fetch something for him that helps their organization be successful in the future more than just, you know, getting the contract off their books. Okay. Because my, my, my other thought is, what if Carlson didn't want to leave? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Would, the Sharks be, would the Sharks want to move him? I mean, they had a chance mm-hmm. to move him last year. Yeah. He, wasn't, he wasn't the guy they chose to move, right? I mean, so... It might be the the one thing that's kind of putting butts in seats for right now. Is is to be honest, is Carlson. Yeah, it could it could be. Um, but one I one of the few things I think this again. We started this conversation. This is the Sharks' best chip right now for building their future, and so yeah. they need to maximize their return, and that means more than you know, clearing cap space and and uh, getting this contract off the books. And how do you uh, predict this whole thing shakes out? Do you think it ends this summer? Do you think it ends during the season? Um, I think um, I think they'll probably make a deal before, before training camp starts. Okay. I really do. Um, and like you, I hear Pittsburgh. But there might be somebody else I think that could that could pop up and, and get involved in this. And and uh it sounds to me like Pittsburgh's trying to be cute here and trying <laughs> to get a steal of a deal. And yep. if the sharks are patient, I think that there I think there'd be another opportunity. And if there's not, once you know, once they get into training camp, I just I just move along. I mean, the big Joe Thornton trade happened, I think, in November. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, and, uh, you know, that was a, that was a situation back in the day where, you know, Joe was, Joe wanted out of Boston. There was no mm-hmm. doubt about that, but he hung in there until, until they were yeah. able to make the right deal for both teams. Well, this is and a great Sharks segue got, because I'll oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say Sharks got the, the, the player that they wanted in the end and, mm-hmm. you know, it all worked out for the Sharks. So maybe patience is best. Well, maybe not so much for Boston, but <laughs> speaking of the historical well, we aspect, the cup and we it, didn't, it went so. eventually, yes. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, yeah, uh, it's great segue into sort of the, the last part of the conversation here. And, uh, Mike, thank you again so much uh, for your time and your insight. Uh, wanted to, uh, you know, I'm a big kind of alternate history nerd, and you mentioned uh, Joe Thornton here, and fans love to hear about stuff like this. So in all your front office experience, 
Islanders, Predators, Panthers. Um, any sort of uh, Sharks trades almost happened that you heard of or with those teams that you're with? I don't remember any almost Sharks trades that I was involved in. Um, I don't know why. I mean, honestly, the only the only time I remember even being in a discussion with the Sharks about any kind of deal was way back when, and it was uh, Patrick Marlowe's draft year. Oh, sure, yeah. Mm -hmm. I and just um, I was with the Islanders, and we were trying to get the draft. Was in? I remember the draft being in Pittsburgh, mm -hmm. and um, I don't remember what year that was. Ninety-seven. I, I, I do remember what year that was, yeah. but but um, but we were trying to find a way to uh, to move around to see if we could somehow snag Marlowe, but we, mm. we we couldn't get it done. We were probably, I'm sure, one of many teams that were trying to to trying to get into that spot. Did he go two? Yeah, he went two. Yeah. If I recall, the Islanders were five, and you guys yeah. got Luongo at five. Yeah, we. I think we had four and five. Oh, four. Oh, yeah, four and five. And we took Brewer and Luongo. Well, let me let me ask you. Do you remember? Did you did you offer four and five to San Jose for two? I don't remember okay. what the what the trade was. Uh, I mean, there's a perfect example. When I was with the Islanders at that time, we we stored draft picks, and you know there were there were many years where we had two, three, and. Uh, first round picks and sometimes we'd have a couple early second round picks mm -hmm. so i don't remember what we would have offered but we weren't able to get up to that spot to get marlo right right well that's mm -hmm. that's that's some fun alternate history the islanders uh drafting uh marlo at number two i assume that any deal at least one of four or five would be going back to the sharks and in some other stuff and so who the sharks draft at number four or five uh, roberto luongo maybe who obviously had a pretty yeah. good career himself who knows right i mean that, that it was interesting it was interesting but um yeah that was a um that was one that's probably the only almost sharks deal that i guess i can remember and it it really wasn't a sharks player yet yeah <laughs> was, right right it was right, really right. For that sec it was for that second overall pick mm. um but um but yeah i don't remember any other almost deals i i was ha I happened to be scouting the game in dallas when the Sharks made the trade for Thornton. Oh, okay. With Boston, which was really oh, wow. interesting because we were all in the press box and all of a sudden we we're looking on the ice and warm up and the Sharks had about 10 guys out there, it seemed. <laughs> well, <laughs> they had players who had gone up to the press box uh, and yeah. had, to, ha had to play. Uh, Jim Fahey, uh, yeah. Nico uh, Dimitrakos, right? Uh, yeah. And they were actually up there in the press box. So did you see them? And then one yeah, second, yeah, the next second they were gone. Yeah, everything was everything was going on, and we were looking on the ice. And I think there was actually uh, uh, I'm trying to remember who it was, um, but there was actually somebody, maybe even two guys that went that went off the ice from warm up. Like they get on right. a couple laps. Uh, probably Sturm and Stewart. Then you know, those. Yeah, were I, think that's maybe, a, I think that's who it was. I think it yeah. was both both Stewart and and Marco Sturm. Yeah. Um, but it was, I remember everybody, the, the press box was buzzing. Everybody was like, oh, they, they who do they make it with? Who do they make it with? You know what I mean? so. that's, uh, that, that's awesome. Um, actually, you know, since uh, you were working at front offices at the time, I actually want to sort of get your recollection of the Thornton trade. There's a perception there that uh, uh, Boston uh, did not really, 
I don't know, uh, maximize their return for for Jumbo there. Uh, maybe didn't check in with all the teams. <laughs> um, and I just wonder, what is your memory of that and sort of uh, uh, just uh, how how uh, Thornton landed in San Jose? I, I mean, I don't recall that, you know, Boston didn't, didn't reach out to who they had to reach mm -hmm. out with. I mean, it was a, you know, it was a little bit of a different time. Sure. Uh, especially when it came to, you know, salary, you know, not having to worry about salary caps and contracts. Um, I do remember Thornton, uh, Thornton was the first entry level contract that had this crazy bonus structure where if you, if you achieved one or two bonuses, you got all six or seven bonuses paid and things oh, like that. Okay. Mm -hmm. That was the, that was a crazy thing at the time. Um, but you know, a lot of times people don't understand what was behind the trade um, and some of the pressures that uh, that different uh, hockey departments feel internally. I mean, like I can I can tell you, I mean, everybody looks at the at the trade that you mentioned earlier when I was working for the Islanders, which was uh, Chara McCall and a draft pick mm -hmm. for uh, Alexi Ashen. Yeah. Um, and everybody says, well, oh, the, you know, Zdeno Chara, you know, what a, what a steal that was. Well, if you really look at the trade, Zdeno Chara only stayed with Ottawa for a couple of years mm -hmm. and then sure. he was a free agent and he was gone. Mm -hmm. And, um, at the time the Islanders had just been, uh, sold to Charles Wong, sure. new owner. And, uh, Previous to that, our payroll restrictions were $14, 15000000 million a year by our previous owner. Right. And the Rangers were spending like $60 million, right? Oh, yeah. And Rangers, <laughs> the Red Wings were too. Yeah. And um, and so all of a sudden, Charles Wong came in and said, I'm going to give you a payroll, but yeah. I expect you to win. Yeah. And so, you know, the, the other thing people don't realize is that Yashin was available we knew it was a hefty price. Um, sure. The Bill McCall, and you know, unfortunately, he's a great guy, but he had a he had a really bad shoulder injury and never really played much after that. Mm -hmm. His career pretty much, I think, was over within a year or two. Um, he, he was a he was a lower line forward anyway out of the University of Michigan, um, but um, but we knew we were giving up a big prospect in Chara, but. One thing that no people realize, well, I don't think people realize, is that the other guy that was holding out at that time and that we also acquired the same day in a oh, trade. Sure, Michael Pekka, right? Michael Pekka. Yeah, I remember, yeah. And people don't realize that it was, I think, three times in four years before that that Ottawa and Buffalo matched up in the playoffs and mm -hmm. Pekka shut down the action. <laughs> I mean, Yashin was was a leading scorer in the league every right. year, and Pekka was shut him down in the playoffs, and Ottawa was sure. getting knocked out. So we looked at that and we said, okay, if we can get Yashin, and we can get the second line center that used to check him and shut him down, we're <laughs> going to be okay. Yeah, and we actually acquired those two guys. And we made the playoffs that year mm -hmm. for the first time in, I think, 12 or 13 years. And uh, we started the season. I want to say we started the season 8 or 9-0 and 0 
and and ended up yep. playing the Red Wings, who were also undefeated at the same time. It was like an unbelievable game. And um, but we yeah, and we ended up losing that year in uh, seven games to Toronto in the first mm-hmm. round. But um, you know, so again, a couple years later, Char is in Boston. So yeah. Yeah. it's easy to sit there and say, you know, oh wow, how, you know, what a stupid trade. But if you really look at the facts of how it all evolved, it, it really wasn't a bad trade at all. Yeah, no, I mean, it makes yeah, sense. Indeed. I mean, Yashin was in his prime. He's a center, right? Yeah. And there's a lot of pressure. Obviously, teams like Buffalo who haven't made the playoffs in like 10, 11 yeah. years, something like mm-hmm. that, that are like itching to get back in kind of thing. There's a lot of pressure, especially when you get a new owner that does that you can actually spend your money kind of thing. Right. And and Yashin had a uh, a very famous model actress girlfriend who lived in Long Island <laughs> named Carol Alt. Sure, sure, sure. Well, that all that all worked out well too. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Mike, last question for me, last history question for me here, and then Keegan's got one more for you, and then we'll uh, we'll send you on your way. Um, I just wonder, uh, you know, in your time uh, in in the front office, just what was the perception of the Sharks and their front office? You know, you you dealt with uh, Dean Lombardi's regime and then Doug Wilson's regime. Just any big difference stand out in how the two operated, or you know, was it pretty, you know, kind of smooth when when that transition happened? Well, I remember when the Sharks first came into the league, and they actually had a. Uh, um, uh, Three-headed GM. If oh, you sure, yeah. Dean right? Lombardi, Grillo, really and, uh, and the Jack. third guy? <laughs> Jack Ferreira. And, yeah. uh, and um, Chuck, yeah, Jack Ferreira, Chuck Grillo, and Dean Lombardi. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, obviously, I I have a great respect for Jack. I've right. known him a long, long time, and I thought he was terrific, you know, in that role. And, um, you know, Dean was, a, was really a – a scouting guy, right? Mm-hmm. And he was he was a real good guy at at evaluating talent and scouting, which is what you want at that time. Uh Jack had the management experience and Dean was really an up and coming guy at that time. Sure. Really bright guy. Still one of the guys that I admire probably the most uh, uh, one of the guys I admire the most in the sport as a general manager. Like what he did in LA was fantastic i mean he took an organization with the kings that um you know for 40 years really did nothing even with Wayne gretzky i mean they had the one run to the finals sure there but but he he built a heck of an organization won a couple of stanley cups and then unfortunately had a goalie uh, an all-star goalie that got hurt and they missed the playoffs one year and he was he was out the door but they they did a great job there but as far as my perspective of that, I, I thought the Sharks did a really a really good job of putting the right front office people together to build their organization. I mean, I know that first year was rough. And I remember, you know, I remember watching games with Link Gates patrolling the ice and <laughs> and, uh, and some of the uh, some of the things that happened at the Cow Palace and, and all that kind of stuff. But but they really had a plan. And they were willing sure. to, uh, you know, willing to do what they needed to do, draft well, and build their organization the right way. Um, and I think they, I think they did that. Well, I, I know they did that. Um, you know, unfortunately, they didn't win a cup. Right. But, um, but they were, they were a top contending team for a long time. 
And then, you know, from, from those three to move on to Doug Wilson, I mean, he gave them stability. Mm-hmm. I mean, there aren't too many, there aren't too many NHL clubs that have a general manager that stays in place that long. And, um, and the way you stay in place that long is by being successful. But being and, competitive the whole and time. That, and that Fortin trade that we talked about earlier was really the, uh, really the, the, the cornerstone, right, for that team being a top team for a decade or more. So, um, yeah, I, nothing but respect for those guys. I know, I mean, Joe Will, who's been there since the beginning, I know Joe well. Um, he, you know, he's a great, great person, and he's done everything the organization's asked from to do at different times. Um, and, um, you know, Timmy Burke, who's been around there forever, too, another Boston guy who I know well. Another guy that's done a really good job of, of finding players and talent for them through the years. And, um, and Mike Greer, I think a good, a good young guy who obviously played for the organization, knows what it's all about up there. And I don't think a lot of hockey fans understand how passionate that fan base is about the team. Mm. I mean, that, that atmosphere in that building, especially when the team was – was going well. I mean, I, I, I mean, we we ran into them in the playoffs when I was in Nashville, and um, like that, that was a passionate fan base, and what a what a fun place to to go and play. Except for the fact that they make us the visiting management staff walk out on that catwalk, the catwalk, hang over <laughs> a piece of plywood. I don't, I never knew what that was all about, but uh, I'll find out one day. No, it's uh, uh, Jack told me that uh, the um, what is now the SAP Center was originally supposed to be a basketball arena, right. and of course, a basketball press box is you know is is you know maybe courtside or whatever. So they didn't really plan on a regular press box, and then when it became a hockey arena, it's like, well, uh, we don't really have space, so we'll put you with uh, Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> <laughs> And, and Mike, um, I just wanted to say thank you for, for joining us for the better part of an hour. Um, and uh, you, you mentioned earlier that there's going to be a, like a Team 33 subscription service kind of thing. Is that a future reality or a somewhat close reality kind of thing? That's, uh, that's the future. I mean, I, I, I don't think it's something we'll have ready for this season. Um, mm-hmm. By next season, for sure. Um, sure. But um, but yeah, that's our that's our goal is actually to turn this eventually into a web-based program mm. um, that you know folks like yourself, fans, uh, anybody that you know wants you know or follows a team in particular and wants more information about players can get it from real pros. I mean, that's uh, yeah. real experienced people. I think that's something that's that's missing out there. Mm-hmm. Um, we all know with the way things are going now, there's plenty of shows with odds makers and all that type of stuff. Right. But what makes us unique is our staff are all former NHL players, GMs, coaches, scouts. I mean, they're people that really know what they're looking at and really know what they're evaluating, not only on the ice, but you know, contractually um, and all the other things that go with it. So, yeah, yeah. it's always been kind of a um, like a big you know, curtain between like professional scouting services and the fans. It always feels right. like they kind of protect their information really, really to their chest. I mean, it is how they make their money, but it, it's interesting to see if there's something out there that fans could read. Yeah. And, and, and you know what, and, and they should, the teams should protect their information, but we're, we're not in the league. So 
Um, yeah, you're independent. Your team thirty-three. Yeah, exactly. Our guys can uh, our guys can tell you what they think, and um, you know one of the nice things about the program is we're able to employ guys that at least currently aren't working in the league, mm-hmm. and it gives them a chance to continue to you know to uh, to do what they do best. And then we've had a couple of guys already in the two years that we've been out here who hook on with teams. Uh, you know, the following year we have other guys that that fall out from teams, maybe their contracts expire and we add them to the staff for the year. So it's become a, it's been a, a good place for, uh, for scouts and managers and people like that to go while they're in between jobs. Thank you so much again, Mike, for, for joining us. Yeah, thank yeah, you, Mike. This, is, this was a pleasure guys. Thanks for having me. And uh, hopefully we can do it again sometime. All right, thank you. Maybe, maybe after Carlson gets traded, whenever that. <laughs> yeah, come on in. We'll do it. We'll do a recap show right afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> we can yeah. evaluate how well they did based on your system. Yeah, um, yeah. It, well, we can do that. We can definitely do that once it once the deal's done for sure. I might even I might even fly to San Jose for that one. <laughs> in person, it must be a must be a good place where we can bring all the fans in and and do it live. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, live show. It sounds good to me. All right, guys. Thanks very much. All right. Take it easy, Mike. Thanks so much.